Well, as we turn to the scriptures, I invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be reading from a number of passages there and then one passage from Jesus in the New Testament too. But page 988 is a good place to, to begin. That's where our first scripture is going to be coming from. And uh, for those of you who maybe joined us for the first time today or haven't been in a while, we're in the midst of a series on where your treasure is. Speaking the words of Jesus, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he was talking about money and the challenge that we have between trusting God and trusting in our own resources and our own ability to accumulate wealth. And so uh, Don has been preaching the last number of weeks, started hard with the teaching of Jesus because Jesus did not mess around when it came to talking about money and the way that it competes for our hearts and our souls. Uh, and then last week kind of pivoted a little bit talking about how God is not actually, not, God is not against money. Money is actually necessary and good. And we're going to continue that line of thinking by, by looking at the book of Proverbs and talking about wisdom and wealth. If you, if you look in scripture, there are dozens and dozens of passages, especially in the wisdom literature, about the practical ways that you ought to think about and handle financial wealth and resources that you've been given. And so we're going to be looking at those today. But yeah, we'll, we'll read those in a moment. But first, I want to I give a sports analogy because that's what we do. Don and I love sports. Um, because uh, great coaches understand that there is more to sports than winning alone. Even though the goal of athletics, the goal of competition, is by its nature to win, it is not ultimately the most important thing, which seems like a strange balance to hold. Winning is, of course, the goal, but there's more going on in the pursuit of winning that actually make the competition worthwhile. Community, that team building part of it. Perseverance, developing focus and attention. Being the best that you can be at the thing you're striving for. Character, you know, the attributes that come from winning and losing. Competition is so important and sports is so amazing because within it you see the, the, the muscles of maturity being built. Not just the physical muscles, but the character of a person being shaped by what they experience in sports. Even when you lose, and I hate losing, I, you have still gained the most important benefits of being part of the sport. And in fact, as much as I hate to admit it, you need to lose in athletics in order for it to shape you fully, in order for you to grow. All, all great sports stories speak to this reality. So, and, and we've got multiple generations in the room here. I'm not going to name the youngest. Well, the youngest is young. I'm not going to name the oldest age either. But there are a lot of sports stories out there. So how many are familiar with Ted Lasso? We'll start present day, okay? Looking around the room. This is like choose your own sports analogy, okay? <laughs> Ted Lasso. How about Rocky? Okay, more. Or Creed. Creed is like the new version of Rocky, yep, okay. Think about the stories Friday Night Lights, is that a familiar one to folks? The TV series or the movie, both are good. Remember the Titans, great movie. Rudy, Rudy, remember that story? The Mighty Ducks, am I hitting home for a few other? All of these stories, there we go, Mighty Ducks back there. Everyone who hears these, knows these stories and is moved by them 
who really understands sports knows that the true value of athletics is not in winning, but in the experience of competition itself. But sometimes even people who win, and that's what a lot of these sport stories actually end up being about, sometimes even the people who win on the field don't actually get to experience what really matters because of the way that they approach the athletics. If they've cheated, or if they've not been a good teammate, or if they believe that winning is the only thing that matters, and so they're willing to do anything to make it happen, then they actually miss out on the best part of what sports has to offer. Winning matters, but whether you win or lose, it's always worth competing because of the kind of person that you're becoming through that adventure. And this is true of not just sports. I could use other analogies, but there's more to the things that we do than just the thing that's in front of us. In the same way as that, in the same way that sports, there's more going on than just winning, in money matters. Whether you have a lot of money or not, what matters is the kind of person that you are and that you're becoming as you earn it and use it. So money matters, and the pursuit of it is good and necessary, but who you are as you pursue it matters more than anything else. Um, I'll, John Wooden, who was one, uh, the basketball coach at UCLA, uh, one of the most successful coaches in history, he brought it all together for me with this quote. Material possessions, winning scores, and great reputations are all meaningless in the eyes of the Lord. He knows what we really are, and that is all that matters. A proverb from John Wooden. Pretty good, right? The wise person understands that the practice of making and maintaining wealth, wealth is a noble goal. It is the object of our work often, and it's necessary for life, even enjoyable. But there is more going on in the making of money than the money itself. Character is being shaped. Relationships are being formed or broken. You're having an impact on the world around you by the way that you pursue and use the wealth that you've been given. And internally, your heart is being changed as well. You're either learning to trust God or you're not. And you're learning to trust in yourself instead. The wise person pursues money knowing that it doesn't really matter unless you have your relationship with God and all the other stuff that goes along with that straight first. You have to rely on God for your security rather than on money. So a, a proverb that when we think of the Proverbs, this is one that many people turn to. And a number of folks, when they join our church, they're, they're asked to give a scripture that's meaningful to them. One of the ones that comes up is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's a familiar scripture, right? And, and meaningful. Trust in God with all that you are, and he'll make your path straight. That is the introduction to a series of admonitions from the book of Proverbs, one of which, just two verses later, is beginning in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. The starting point for a follower of God is to put our trust in him alone. If we don't, then we miss out on the blessing that God could give. 
Money cannot ultimately bring us security. There's something more going on. God is using it to see if we will learn to trust him more. So today we're going to talk about what is your attitude toward wealth and money. We'll look at some practical things too, and then even more practical uh, applications next week. But I want to share, I want to ask a couple of questions and then share some proverbs that respond to those to help us identify what is our, our approach to our attitude toward money, and are there places where we need to shift our focus back to trusting in God rather than trusting with our, in ourselves. So the first question is, are you honest with money? One of the sure ways to tell whether or not we trust God more than money is how tempted we are to make financial gains through deception, even light deception. So Proverbs eleven eighteen speaks to this. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Let me pause for just a second. I'm going to put a lot of Proverbs up on the screen. And I know you've got sermon notes, and that's good. Just write the references down. You don't have to write the whole verse, because they're, they're all in here. All right? So write down the references, and I'd encourage you afterwards to go back and look at another of them. But let me read that one again. The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. This is speaking to the way about which we gain money and and wealth. Are you willing to lie and cheat and otherwise deceive in order to gain and hold on to money? For instance, are are you tempted to cheat when paying taxes? Happens all the time. We see it in the news all the time. Are you sometimes tempted to relabel or otherwise twist the way it's reported on your tax forms in order to lower your income falsely or raise your deductions falsely. Kids don't know what I'm talking about, but you also have opportunities to use money. Are you sometimes tempted when you're counting to change the numbers of how much you've counted out if you're dividing something between people? Happens all the time. Are we tempted to to shift it just a little bit to get more for ourselves? Are we tempted to not answer questions truthfully with people we're in partnership with? And that could be business partners or people that we work with. Uh, One of my first jobs uh, getting out of college, I was working for the YMCA in Durham, North Carolina, the downtown Y, and it was a membership Y. It was like a health club, really. Now, there were other programs, too, for kids and stuff, but there was also like a really nice fitness center that was part of it. And so one of our jobs, I was in customer service, was when new people came, we would give them a tour of the facility and then try to invite them to join. Well, we got a commission on people who joined the Y. If we gave them a tour and then they came back a week or two weeks or four weeks later and joined, then we would get a commission because it meant that their first experience of that tour led to them joining. And so there was little, this is pre-computer literacy, so there were little forms that we filled out, and there was a big board, and you'd write down who it was, and it would just go on the board. And we discovered that there was a, one, of the, one of the guys was taking, when somebody would join, he would find their card on the board, and he would tear it up and make a new card 
with their information, and then he would put it in the system slightly differently so that it wouldn't, there was a computer system, so that it, we wouldn't notice. But we all noticed because all of a sudden these people that we'd given tours to were members, and you know, it's like, where, when did they become members? It wasn't a very good deceptive plot, it turns out. But all of us are tempted to not answer questions truthfully with people that we work with, and sometimes people that we live with, too. Are we tempted to not be honest about money? Another one, are you tempted to overstate the value of something as a way to kind of inflate the price so that you can make a higher profit? This is a temptation as well. Do you charge, if you're involved in charging interest or fees, do you pay, do you increase them or change them unnecessarily, especially to those who struggle to pay? People who follow God should live differently when it comes to the way that we use money. So a couple um, scriptures that speak to this reality. Proverbs 21.6 says, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. Proverbs 28.8, he who increases his wealth by exorbitant interest amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. Meaning that ultimately that kind of deception will not be honored by the Lord, but your wealth is going to go to somebody else who's going to be more generous and who's going to be fair, who's going to be honest. The pursuit of money by deception and by taking advantage of those who have less than us or by lying and cheating and stealing, in the long run, it actually works against you, even if it creates a short-term or even a long-term windfall. It works against you because not only are you not trustworthy as a result, people will not trust you, but you become less able to trust others as well. Because if you're dishonest, then it's pretty likely that others are being dishonest to you. It's a vicious cycle. The inability to live in good faith when it comes to money undercuts the security that we desire from that money. And so ultimately, if you follow that path, you become Ebenezer Scrooge eventually, where you have a lot of money, but you have no friends. Nobody who cares. Financial wisdom begins with relying on God rather than on money, and that means that we handle our finances with righteousness, fairly, honestly, truthfully, with integrity. Proverbs 28, 6, better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. All right. I'm sure I'm not talking to anybody. That was for the people, that was for other people, right? That part. Are you honest with what, your money? That's the first question. Second one, <clears throat> second question, and this is for everyone. Are you content with what you have? Is it enough? Proverbs 30, 7 through 9, the writer says, Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me, and give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Jesus picks up this theme in the Lord's Prayer. And this is the reason why. So he says, neither poverty nor riches, but only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Two extremes, and it's the writer's oversimplifying in order to make a point. 
There are two extremes when it comes to wealth. If you believe that you don't have enough to survive and that the only way to be secure is to have more, then you're willing to do anything to get what you think you need. This is related to the problem we identified before of if money is the only thing that matters, then I'm willing to do anything to get it. For someone in poverty who doesn't have enough food to eat, they may turn to dishonesty in order to, to gain. The, the temptation is the same either way. To steal or cheat or lie betrays a lack of trust in God. And as the writer says, so you dishonor the name of the Lord. That's the first temptation. But the second extreme of discontent is just as dangerous, maybe even more dangerous. If you are able to gain enough money that you feel you do have enough to be secure, if you accumulate enough that you don't need anything, then you are tempted to no longer believe that you need anything from God. To have so much that you no longer depend on the Lord for anything, you may turn, begin to ask the question in your spirit, who needs the Lord? Or who is the Lord? I don't need God. Look what I have gained for myself. Proverbs 18.11 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. What he means by that is that wealth is not the protection that some people think that it is. Wealth can help with some of the challenges that we face, but not when it comes to life's ultimate issues. We think of it as an unscalable wall. If I just get that nest egg secure, then everything's going to be okay. But if having money were the answer, then all rich people would be happy and content and secure all the time. Is that the case? Can you think of people in your life who seem to have enough and yet are not having the security that they hope for. They imagine their wealth to be an unscalable wall, but the reality is that they're not protected by money from any of the challenges that really matter. What really matters, life, relationships, health, joy, peace, love, an eternal home, what really matters come from God and have literally nothing to do with how much money we do or do not have, right? Proverbs 18.10 is the response to Proverbs 18.11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Do you see the progression? <clears throat> and uh, incidentally, the flip side of that argument would also have to be true that anyone who is not wealthy, who doesn't have enough money, would not be happy and content and secure. And is that true? Are all people who are not wealthy insecure and unhappy? No. Quite the opposite, in fact. Especially if you've traveled to other parts of the world, other parts of the country, and seen, we live in relative wealth in the place where we live. But we are not a happy culture here. There are other cultures, other places that have much, much less, but are much happier. There's actually a tremendous freedom and independence in having just enough, which Proverbs 15, 16, and 16, 8 both speak to. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. 
Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. So the wise person seeks to avoid both extremes, to live with what we've been given in a way that honors God. Can we learn to have this attitude toward money that is content with what you have so that you can then be a blessing to others with what God has blessed you with? Jesus uh, spoke to this as well. And I want to read from Luke 12, verses 15 through 21. If you want to turn there, it's on page 1619. This is the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to all of them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Financial wisdom begins with relying on God rather than on money. You cannot have it both ways. Your security must come from him and from him alone. So uh, just as a reminder of some of the questions that I've asked, and this is actually a great conversation to have with folks in your life. If you're on the drive home or over lunch later today and you're talking with your family or friends about money, uh, maybe ask some of these questions internally, but some of them with the group. Are you honest with money? Can you truthfully look in the mirror or look at your finances and say, I've been truthful with how I use this? Are you content with what you have or do you feel this burden and this yearning to have more so that you can be secure? And then maybe a good discussion question. In what ways do you rely on wealth more than you rely on God? And what changes would you need to make in order to live out the wisdom from Proverbs that we learned about today. The scriptures are so clear, and it's not new information, right? We're not the first, this is not the first time you've heard this. We've talked about it the last month, but over the course of our lifetime, there are lots of reminders of this reality that it's not just about the money. Guess what? The same thing is true in every other part of our life. In sports, People who have been playing sports for a long time still have lessons to learn from losing and from winning. The the experiences that we have, whether it's with wealth, whether it's with relationships with people, whether it's with money, all of these are here in order that we learn that there is more to this life than just what we can see and touch and accumulate for ourselves and do. 
that God is actually doing something in us through the way that we use the resources that he's given us. So whatever you're about, whatever work you do, whatever money you have, let it be a tool in God's hand to shape you rather than something that you hoard and hold on to for yourself. Amen? Lord God, thank you for your word and the way that it teaches us. And as we uh, have sung earlier today and uh, have read here in the scriptures and we're, we'll in a moment turn to your table um, to receive the blessing of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we're reminded in all of these things that we have nothing on our own that can make us any more or, or less in your eyes. That our security comes from our relationship with the God who is the creator and sustainer of everything and who has given us new life in Jesus Christ. And so may we be content with our daily bread. May we honor you with the first fruits of our wealth. May we trust you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And may you be glorified in the way that we use what you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In response,